sure y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, back by the woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Randy Scruggs was a musician, producer, and songwriter who had his hands in so many projects it would take a whole podcast episode to cover them all. But here's a short list of artists he's worked with. John Hartford, Johnny Cash, Roseanne Cash, Loretta Lynn, Michael Card, Doc Watson, Iris DeMint, Amy Grant, Alison Krauss, and a ton more. Randy's daughter, Lindsay Scruggs, comes back by the woodpile to share a few memories of her father, who sadly passed away in April of this year. My first question is, your father lived in the home of you know, Earl Scruggs, the uh, legendary bluegrass guy. Did they ever talk about that as either being a wonderful thing or at times maybe a liability? He never really expressed any sort of complaints about it i could see it just in newspaper articles or things like that like when my father would make an album or produce an album he would always be uh introduced in the article as son of earl scruggs but he didn't really talk about it much at all he definitely stepped out on his own and went more country almost folkish Mm -hmm. I mean, for that matter, my grandfather got, in a way, uh, admonished by some of his fans for not being bluegrass enough. My grandmother, Louise, had a lot of influence in the shaping of his career, and I don't even know if he ever would have become as influential as he did if she had not been doing that. We'll talk about that if you don't mind. How did she push him in a a, a more successful direction? Well, she was his manager. In fact, I believe she was the first female country music manager. She booked all his shows. She was careful with how he dressed even because she didn't want that image. I'm trying to remember what she would say, but something about she didn't want him like he had a hayseed, you know, in his mouth or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Right. But having him play on college campuses and uh, events like that that kind of took him out of that bluegrass country well, realm. The, yeah, like the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, the stereotype of it. I think that was the thing with Bill Monroe as well. He made all his players wear suits and ties, you know. Yeah, although... You, when they're all standing up there, it's funny, they have like no expression at all. I've always found that very amusing about bluegrass musicians specifically. It's like they're doing something crazy with their fingers, right. but they just have just maybe a smile on their face, but yeah. just nothing. No, no stage presence. <laughs> no, no, but well, they don't have to. Right, you know, right. It's in their music. Right. So did your father talk about how your grandfather may have showed him some things? Not so much you know growing up around it i think when your whole family is doing it i think that that just kind of comes you can't grow up 
with a family like that and not learn some things. Right. And my father was playing from a very early age. He was on the Flatten Scruggs TV show at eight years old playing the auto harp. Wow. Um, Wildwood Flower was the song, and, and supposedly uh, Maybelle Carter had lent him that auto harp. Actually, we, we have the auto harp. It has my father's name engraved on the side of it. I will twine and will mingle my raven black hair With the roses so red and the lilies so fair And the myrtle so bright with an emerald hue The pale Anita in his up so blue So growing up with your father What's your earliest memories of music? Well, I mean, probably just him playing guitar in the music room. He, he would sit in there and write. He'd, he'd have his little tape player. And in the 80s, at least when I was little, he wrote a lot with a guy named Earl Thomas Conley. started to kind of go forward in his career and go out on his own. It was uh, about in the late 80s that he played on uh, Roseanne Cash's version of Tennessee Flat Top Box. Then one day he was gone and no one ever saw him round. He vanished like the breeze. They forgot him in the little town but all the girls still dreamed about him. That became a huge hit. I just barely remember that time because I would have been like five years old when they did that. But it was probably the early to mid 90s when he really started to get in the spotlight himself. Of the songs that he wrote, do you have a favorite? Passing Through, probably. That was co-written with Johnny Cash. Well, I have stood upon the mountain, I have seen the other side. Wrestled with the devil, I have wrestled with my pride. Been down in the valley, I have stood out in the rain. Seen my love forsaken, felt the pleasure and the pain. And at my father's memorial, I performed that one. It's just a great song. There's two versions of it. One is on my grandfather's Earl Scruggs and Friends album, and I believe it was Don Henley singing on that one. And the other one was on my father's Crown of Jewels album, which is my favorite version of it because it's grittier. And that was with Joan Osborne. It's a wicked world we live in, but the truth is, Talk about your memories of your dad. What are some of the your favorite things about him? Well, he was always there. When and that's talk, and that's rare. Yeah, we should say for the music industry. Yeah, um, I mean, I know he was on the road quite a bit, but I just don't ever remember him not being there when it was important. I found some picture online 
of my father from some event and the event said it took place on February 10th. Well, that's my birthday. I don't remember him ever not being there for a birthday. So he would take me to school every morning. I had some anxiety going to school when I was little and he had little ways that he would help me get out of that. When you talk about someone who had unconditional love for someone, that was my father. He had unconditional love for me, and he was always supportive of anything that I did. Like, if I was interested in painting, he would get me paints and brushes and an easel. If I was interested in playing clarinet, he would find a way to get me a clarinet. Just really anything Mm -hmm. that I was interested in, he would be supportive of. Mm -hmm. And you just don't find that in a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And in general, he he was a caretaker. He just, he took care of me. Near the end, as sick as he was, I just remember I, I put my head down on his chest and he put his arm around me and just stroked my arm. And it was just still if i work my hands and would would you still love me answer babe now yes i would would you love me we had kind of funny family things like my mom is a big fan of barbara streisand i've always been a big fan of barbara streisand my father not as much but uh for the record i'm with your dad on this one but okay well you know she she was my idol growing up Uh um and for that matter i remember my graduation from eighth grade my father i guess talked to somebody who knew her and got me an autographed picture for my eighth grade graduation stuff like that you know even if he didn't like barbara streisand he found ways to Support my liking of her. <laughs> anyway, there was a the movie The Way We Were it has the song The Way We Were, and for some reason, throughout life, if we're in the room together, one of us could just randomly go The Way We, and the other two, my father and my mother, would just go <laughs> Like it, it, it's this silly, silly. I, I don't know why we all thought it was so funny, but it was just one of these little family things uh-huh. on my own again how do I tell him I don't know who I am I feel those feelings again my hands are shaking like leaves in the wind did he ever uh, have folks over the house that maybe when you were young are like, I don't know who this is, or you, they were just people to you, but... Less to the house. He kind of kept his career away from mm-hmm. home to the studio. I mean, there were a lot of people I met over the years. I mean, Loretta Lynn was really cool to meet. I mean, that was maybe that was the early 2000s or something. I just remember that she ordered a huge stack of really thickly cut bologna. Like, that's what she wanted, which actually is contrary to what I had heard about her. I heard that she hated bologna because that's that's, she had to eat that growing up. Mm -hmm. But here I come to the studio, and she's got this huge stack of bologna. Cause I'm gonna sit right here and empty this ashtray in her beer. I can't wait to see her drinking. 
sweet woman as well. Like you meet her and she just hugs you and like kisses you and you're like, I don't even know you. And you were like the <laughs> nicest person I've ever met. This is somebody that was at the house when my father did his Crown of Jewels album. I did come home one day and Joan Osborne was sitting on the couch. And that, <laughs> that was, that was, I, I, that was like, you know, I think at the height of her one of us mm -hmm. time and I just didn't know what to say. It was like, oh, it's Joan Osborne. And then uh, when my father w was recording the Red Hot and Country album, you know, like Kathy Matea and Susie Boggess and Alison Krauss was on that album. That was very, very early in her career because my father had her on the uh, Keith Whitley tribute album doing When You Say Nothing At All. The smile on your face lets me know that you need me There's a truth in your eyes saying you never leave me The touch of your head says you catch me ever I fall You say interesting about the Red Hot and Country album is that it was for AIDS awareness. In a lot of ways I think that album would have been a lot more successful had sometimes country radio not blocked it because it was for AIDS awareness. So when I found that out I really I respected my father even more for being a part of that at a time when maybe people were afraid to address that. wrote quite a bit with Lisa Loeb. I one time we went out and had lunch and then afterwards I, we were gonna get a coffee and I suggested Bongo Java so I, I took her into Bongo Java and I ran into one of my friends there and I guess she'd gone to the bathroom and I was like I brought Lisa Loeb with me and they were like you didn't. I'm like yeah I did and then she comes back from the bathroom and they're like oh I guess that is Lisa Loeb. <laughs> did she have her glasses? Yes. the stuff I learned from going places with him. Some of the cooler things were like when Billy Bob Thornton came to town and Angelina Jolie came with him. So I got to meet them at Ocean Way Studios. That's where Billy was recording his album. That man has some really interesting stories. And he and my father became friends for a while. He was actually one of the pallbearers at my grandmother's funeral. Billy Bob was? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, he, he and Dwight Yoakam both were because they're really close friends and both of them were in Sling Blade together. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of the funniest things that he did was uh, we went to Los Angeles. My grandmother, Louise, my grandfather, my father, maybe we were going for the Grammys or something like that, but we met up with Billy in some studio at the bottom of, I think, the Sunset Marquee. I, I think that's the hotel. It has a studio in the garage. My grandmother was someone who only laughed with her shoulders, like she didn't laugh out loud. Mm -hmm. And he told uh, 
a story about us coming to Los Angeles in the voice of the character from Sling Blade. <laughs> and he said, I don't normally do this, but just because he respected my grandmother so much and respected my father so much that he told that story. You got any biscuits for sale in there? Well, no, this here's a frosty cream. We, we don't serve biscuits. We got a lot of other stuff, though. What you got in there is good to eat. So he's your father and you grew up with him. Was there a point that you realized, like, well, my dad, he's famous. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, well, I, it's, it's funny, kind of, but, but not necessarily because he never put off that kind of air that he was famous. You know, he would get nervous about going on stage, and, and you would think that someone playing for as long as he was playing, that that wouldn't happen as much anymore, but he still did. Now, my grandfather didn't, didn't seem like that would happen at all. He'd just go do it. But everybody's got insecurities. And, sure. and, and uh, thinking about the, the fame thing, I, I mean, really, I think the only thing that, it, that happened with me is sometimes I got to meet people that I wouldn't otherwise get to meet. Mm-hmm. Did that ever affect you? Like you're at school and someone finds out who your grandpa is? or? Well, okay, so so that's one thing. It's kind of a double-edged sword. So you sometimes get to meet really cool people because of who you are, and then you kind of think to yourself, well, I'm only meeting them because of who somebody in my family is. Right. You know, you talked about the shadow earlier. Uh, there's definitely a level of that, like, I am wanting to go into music myself. While having this name can help me, it also is, well, shouldn't you be doing bluegrass? Shouldn't mm-hmm. you be doing country? And there's a certain expectation, I think, of how good uh, an instrumentalist you are. Like, I'm gonna say now, my guitar playing is not good. I play piano, but my guitar playing is, is a sacrilege to my family. <laughs> Um, and in, in, in terms of fame, what always kind of bugged me, like if I introduced myself and said who my family was, that's fine. It'd be when someone else didn't know me, didn't, you know, somebody didn't know me and they introduced me as Earl Scruggs' granddaughter. And it wasn't, they didn't ever introduce me as Randy Scruggs' daughter, it was Earl Scruggs' granddaughter, same as you know, Earl Scruggs' son. But when people introduce you as that, the other person does one of two things. Either they know who that is, and then they're like, oh, you know, oh my God, what was it like growing up, you know, Mm -hmm. with such a famous grandfather? And it's like, well, he sat there and watched TV and occasionally played his little tiny practice banjo. I mean, it's like (laughs) like my dad and his practice guitar. Mm -hmm. He would... Is a beaten up Ibanez that he would practice with and it's still sitting in the music room. It's got like a, a screwy E string on it that you, you know, you press down on one of the frets and it, it's like, ding! I mean, it, it just, mm-hmm. my grandfather had this tiny little banjo. As you said um, that, I was trying to remember like when we first met, you know, at, at Spun, the record shop. Yeah. And you were an aspiring, you know, techno DJ. <laughs> and I don't know how long it took me till I figured out, like, made the connection with your last name. You definitely didn't introduce yourself as that. No, because I didn't want to be known as that. Mm-hmm. I wanted somebody to know me for me sure. and not who my family was. And maybe I should have embraced that more. 
I think had I met you when I first moved to Nashville, I would have been starstruck. Like, oh, wow. But that's time, the thing. Yeah. If somebody is, then they have nothing they can talk to you about because right. they're only focused on that. And they're only right. focused on wanting to know about what it was like when they're really, in some cases, in terms of experiences with just that person, it's not necessarily interesting to other people because it's just your regular family stuff. Right. right. I mean, I've definitely embraced it a lot more as I've gotten older, especially after losing my grandmother and my grandfather and, and now my father. It's it's like I have this kind of yearning to listen to the music more mm -hmm. just because now I'm not around it anymore. Mm -hmm. And when you grow up around it, it's just there. You take it for granted in a lot of ways. When I asked her for a hand, she said you just don't understand. You are nothing more than someone to waste time with. Something just ain't right, something just ain't right. There's something that ain't right in this world we live in. When I was probably about 14 or so at my school, they had things called father-daughter dances, and they would do them on the General Jackson showboat. My father would come every year, and there was like one year where um, this friend of mine, her father could not make it, so he stepped in for her father as well. But the uh, Fleetwood Mac song, Landslide, has stayed super important to me over the years because one year my father and I and a friend of mine, Kara, went up on stage and performed the song. And it just always has made me think of my father and actually that reminds me too, when I was younger, I think, I think in some ways I used to almost be embarrassed by it. Actually, I was embarrassed by the idea of my father coming and playing somewhere because I, I don't know, maybe I didn't want the attention from that. Mm -hmm. But I think I remember him playing Wildwood Flower at like a, a Girl Scout thing one time. And then my grandfather, I called him Papa, I think he at one point threatened to come embarrass me at school riding on a bicycle like he threatened like when i was little and i i don't even i don't even know why this would have embarrassed me but it's like oh god all these people know who you are and that memory at the father-daughter dance it stays with me and it will always stay with me and we must see that love can be the earthly perfect harmony Lord composed for children of his own to sing. So for a time you were like I mentioned you were DJing trance music and all that kind of stuff. So when you went to your dad's like, hey, I wanna be a techno DJ, what was his reaction? <laughs> well, for Christmas that year he bought me two Stanton turntables. You know, yet again it was just he was very supportive and he thought it was cool. I mean, he didn't listen to that music himself, mm -hmm. but he would if I had asked him to. Like, any time that I wanted to play him something, he would drop, especially if I had written it, he would drop whatever he was doing and go listen to me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he would play along with me. Obviously, not with electronic music. That doesn't really <laughs> work so well. One song I wrote called Go Find That Girl, I wrote, I guess, uh, last year. And I played it for him, and there was a lyric in it 
that he thought he heard. I actually had used somewhat of a, a bad word in it, mm. but he thought I said the word thin. And he said, that's a really artistic lyric. Mm. And I said, well, that wasn't the lyric, but now it is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but that song in particular, he really appreciated. And one of the last times he heard me play, I was playing that song. And I overheard him saying, man, she's gotten a lot more consistent. And, and he was like, that could win a Golden Globe. So it's, it's wow. one of those things that my father's opinion on that sort of stuff was extremely important to me because of how talented he, he was. They just don't make them like that. You know, it's just somebody who's talented in, in so many areas. And, and he was involved in, uh, in some film scores as well. I remember there was one project he was working on and speaking of electronic music, he was supposed to write a song that was, I guess, supposed to be slightly electronic. So he came to me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't I don't think they used whatever we wrote. I want to say it was called Old Mill Hump. Because that <laughs> maybe that was the name of the scene. I don't know, but that's what it was called. Which was film Old was it? Mill Hump. I don't even remember now. Maybe it was the Toby Keith movie. But my dad knew nothing mm -hmm. about electronic music, so he was like... Hey, <laughs> you do this, you know. You were master tired and cut and weary. But I said that's okay, you could be a girl. Angelina, can you feel it? Watch the angels as they're dancing up above. So let's talk about the memorial. I wanted to have a memorial or, or a celebration of life that I had time to put together because in a lot of ways, because like what we spoke about earlier about kind of being in the shadow and whatnot, I felt like I really wanted my father to be acknowledged for his massive career because in this town, it's like everybody knew him. And I don't even know how many people knew him. I just, you know, I talk to somebody and, and say my father's name. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I knew him. I met him at this event or I did this with him. And it's like, oh, okay, I had no idea. I wanted it to be a concert that my father would have enjoyed going to and had a good time at. I didn't want it to just be some sort of sad funeral because I felt like my father deserved all of these people to come and celebrate him and his career mm -hmm. and of course including things about my grandfather and the and the Earl Scruggs review and and all of that but I really wanted it to focus on his career so you know including uh will the circle be unbroken because he did not produce volume one but he co-produced volumes two and three and the will the circle be unbroken project was Hugely influential. Come up with a nitty nitty gritty dirt band. Yes. I went back home. My home was lonesome. Miss my mother. She was gone. All my brothers and sisters crying. What a home so sad and long. It just started for me as a list of, of songs that I really enjoyed of my father's. Uh, initially, I was 
I just wanted to celebrate his Crown of Jewels album since that was the only solo album that he did. And then my Uncle Gary was you, like, well, your father had a much larger career than that. And I'm like, I know. So I, we started to focus more on his biggest hits. So like he had won a Grammy for Amazing Grace. We opened with that. I found his Crown of Jewels guitar that he had taken on the road with him all the time. and. And I made sure I was like, I don't want anybody to touch this because it still has his his fingerprints on it. But I wanted it on the stage. So I had them put it on the stage. And just this whole event, it, it was a labor of love. I, I, I say that my father had a publishing company called Labor of Love. So I almost thought it was amusing to even use that phrase. But that's what it was. It was therapeutic in a way for me to go back through his music and his videos and and talk to these people that he'd work with over the years and then to see all these people in a room together and and me included and it felt like a big family there was this moment before we went to do uh will the circle be unbroken and jeff hannah was going to go introduce that song and jeff hannah was uh, nitty-gritty dirt band and he got introduced too early and so he walks back, and we're like, oh, oops, you know? And then it, it comes time, it's like me and Vince Gill and Charlie Daniels and Matresa Berg and Roseanne Cash, and all of us just standing in a little clump, Iris Dement, uh, Allison Krauss, like all of us standing in this little lump waiting to go onto the stage, and we don't see Jeff anywhere. And Vince was like, Jeff left. He's angry. It was a joke. Oh. But it was a, and so, so then when he got introduced, Vince just started walking on the stage and, and Charlie was like, well, I'm just going to follow Vince. He knows where he's going. You know? <laughs> and then Jeff showed up. But it was, it was this group of people just felt like such a family. And then standing on stage doing Will the Circle Be Unbroken, which we only ran through two times before doing. And to have this many people playing this song and it just sounding so beautiful and when I performed I, I just I realized I never felt that confident in my life and it's like I felt like my father was with me in some ways I, I really don't even know how to describe it in some ways that's what made me realize no I need to do music I need to be an artist I have been putting this on the back burner for years, saying that, no, I don't want to do that, but it, it's it's in my blood, mm -hmm. and it just feels important to me. And I've heard from other people that my father was kind of, would tell them, well, she's not really interested in this. And I guess one of the things that was most amazing to me is when I was talking to all these people, is how many of them would tell me about how my father would talk about me. <laughs> Oh, like Iris Dement said that he would light up when I came in the room and just learning all these things just it was overwhelming in a way and with the help of my uncle and the Country Music Hall of Fame who offered us their venue for nothing um, they said we would like to host this and I was like that is the kindest thing I've it, just the whole thing was overwhelming. I think my father would have loved it, and that's what I wanted. I'm Randy Scruggs.
one thing that Roseanne Cash said to me that I thought was just beautiful um, is she said, Lindsay, I want to say I wish you had known your father when he was younger. She said, but you did know him because he was the same person then that he was throughout his life. And I just thought that was beautiful and gave me even more appreciation for my father. I want to thank Lindsay for sharing a bit of her father with us today. Also, if you're still in the mood for music out of Nashville, you might check out in the corner back by the woodpile episodes 152 with country songwriter Bill Luther or 134 with guitar wizard Phil Keggy. In the corner, back by the woodpile, it's produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by looking up Spun Counter Guy. If you want to say hi or send us nasty words, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. And you can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and podbean.com. We'll see you on the flip side.